Don't say die, we won't give in We're number one We'll hold the line We won't step back, we'll just attack time after time We're lightning fast We'll drive like rain We won't be beat, we won't retreat Ice in our veins We are the storm from Melbourne Town We'll blow the others off the ground We are the storm and we're number one the storm and we're number one welcome to stormcast the official melbourne storm podcast episode 24 as always a quick shout out to those of you who are supporting the podcast by downloading and subscribing to stormcast with gobs the one and only melbourne storm podcast stormcast is your one-stop shop for discussing all things melbourne storm stormcast with gobs is available on apple podcasts Google Podcasts, and Spotify. As always, I'm your host, Gobbs, and I'll be bringing you the latest news, and there's been quite a bit of news this week, views and storm content over the 2023 season. Now, let's get on with the podcast, shall we? Seve, done some nice things already, Marion. Nice tackle one-on-one from Simonson, but Hughes off the back of it. Oh, he's got a double. Harry Grant unstoppable tonight. One of two tries for Harry Houdini, who had an absolute blinder against the Eels. So much for that ambush that uh, I had uh, foreseen that was going to take place at Marvel Stadium. Uh, The first 10 minutes was probably a bit of an arm wrestle, and the Eels looked very, very willing. Um to come and and win the chocolate win the battle against the storm and um, fortunately um, Melbourne got into their rhythm and uh, and were able to go on with it through uh, dominating the ruck um, I thought Tui Kamikamitha Welshi um, the return of Tepai Moroa off the bench provided great impact as well uh, and they did so without their big man mountain in Nelson Asafa Solomona. The middles really, really held up and really took it to the Eels um, forwards as well, which it was great to see. Josh King, uh, unheralded, got through a ton of work as always. Um, now, very, very pleasing performance uh, with the Storm running out winners 46-16 to 16 against the Storm's bogey team, the Parramatta Eels, who up until this clash had won six of the last seven. Um, they've had the wood, they've got a style, uh, the wood on the storm, they've got a style of play which unsettles the storm, which I spoke to last week. Um, storm traditionally are very, very conservative with their defence. Um, they love to get in an arm wrestle. So if you're playing um, a lot of shape, uh, a lot of direct play, they gobble that up. It's the unconventional second phase play which really disrupts their rhythm defensively and, and can pull apart and cause chaos uh, on the edges uh, in the defensive systems of the Storm. But fortunately, the Storm's defence was was clinical, back to its clinical best um, in, in terms of shutting down a lot of that second phase play. And um, they've got a lot of ball movement in them, the Eels. Um, Moses loves to... To run off the off the cuff of 
of of that second phase play. Gutherson is always sniffing around and, and uh, waiting for an offload. Jermaine Hopgood, who the Eels had signed previous uh, in the um, in the preseason uh, from the Panthers, uh, he's probably one of the best uh, offloader exponents uh, in the game. And the Eels have had a lot of success through their second phase play being generated off him. You've got a ball, big ball player in Juno Barlow as well. Uh, so there's and, and Bryce Cartwright, again, who's quite crafty with with the ball in hand. So the Eels had a lot of attack, a lot of points in them, um, and it was testament to the storm that defensively they were, they were on song. Um, and again, it was really um, made prominent through winning the ruck and the forwards should should really take a bow to that because the likes, as I've made mention, the likes of Josh King, who's very, very unheralded. Um, there's an there's a reason why they call him the bin chicken because the amount of the amount of rubbish that he gets through in terms of doing all the in doing all the uh, the unfashionable stuff, the um, the clean up work in and around the ruck area, um, making those last ditch efforts, coming in and, and helping uh, out defensively uh, in that middle third period, especially when fatigue starts to set in, and then just taking the ugly hit ups, the ones that no one really wants to take, coming off your own goal line. Um, yeah, he, he was tremendous. Again, he. Not on the, not on the highlights reel, and he's not a highlights reel player, but um, he's the type of player that that epitomises what the Melbourne Storm is all about. Um, and because him doing his job, Tui Kamikamitha, Tepo Moroa, Alec McDonald with his great leg speed off the bench coming through and providing a lot of impetus in and around the ruck, um, and again Christian Welsh up front that allowed Harry and Jerome to just run absolutely riot against the Eels because when you've got time and space, it brings in your, your ball-running players. Um, and, and the thing with having not an organising half but having two running halves in Munster and Hughes, whose first, second and third instinct is to run, when you've got time, when you've got space, when you've got room, that's when they come into their own and everyone goes with them and Grant's the same. So uh, it was it was a, a clinical display, and the storm are very very hard to to claw back um, when they've got ascendancy through the ruck, and their creative players, the spine players, are just running. So when they've got that that momentum in and around the ruck, and they've, they've, the platform's being laid, and the opposition are on the back foot, almost unbeatable, almost unbeatable. And I say almost because every team in this competition is beatable. Yes, even the Panthers. Even the Panthers are beatable. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So we look at um, we look at the stats um, and a few key takeaways from the game. The Storm completing at a 86% rate, completion rate. So 33 from 38 sets. And again, I say it every week, but if you're completing 80% or over, Nine times out of ten, you're coming away where you're putting yourself in a position to win a football game, uh, which was fantastic. Um, again, 14 offloads, um, so a lot of second phase play by the Storm, which was good to see. Um, the only six errors, which is significantly down, which is fantastic. Um, conceding four penalties. Six ruck infringements, which is something that... 
uh, again, is still a bit of an issue, uh, and that just comes back to discipline. Um, but again, it's if you're keeping it under ten a game, you're doing really well. Um, a lot of those ruck infringements are the six again calls. Um, a lot of them are actually calculated and timed because it, it, it sounds funny and weird, and I know this, but giving away six agains in on your own goal line, it's actually better than giving a six away on a forty or a, a forty meter line or, or a halfway line or a thirty meter line because on the goal line you don't actually have to retreat ten meters, which means that. You, you can get off your line quickly. You can actually see the shape coming, um, and it is actually a lot easier to defend off your own goal line than it is in the middle of the field because you're not having to retreat. And if you are having to retreat, you're talking about a minimal of steps. Um, so it, it does become a lot easier to defend um, off your goal line. And I, pro, I suppose this is probably the premise of why the short dropout from... Um, from the goal line has become such a prominent um, weapon for teams now is because even if they don't get the ball back, they find it easier to defend off their own goal line as opposed to defending on their own 40, 30 or 20 metre line where they are retreating. So method in the madness, I guess, again, um, I can't stand the short dropout. I think it's such a low percentage play. Um, I'm all about field position, but look, when you've got two leapers like Xavier Coates and Will Warbrick who are tall and can get up high in the air, I suppose they're, they're, they're going to back their men in their, on the flanks to try and get the ball back. So, again, I'd like to see it happen more often than not, but, again, it's it's one of those things where each to their own, different strokes for different folks. I'm not a fan of it, but, um, look, if they do it in a big game like a finals game and it comes off and they get the ball back and the storm going to score hey I'll be pra- I'll be praising it so but yeah it's just one, it's just one of those uh one of those issues but again um the highlights of the game well I mean Jerome Hughes that was probably his best game of the season um I know there was a comment um I think it might have been by Cooper Cronk on 360, um, where he said that that was probably Jerome Hughes's best game um, as a halfback. So that's that's a big big rap coming from Cooper Cronk, which is absolutely outstanding, fantastic. Uh, and he was he was just full of running, uh, engaged, some great sleight of hand, combined well with uh, the return of Eli Katoa uh, off his right hip um, when Eli got on. Played 55 minutes uh, on that edge, um, and again, just the 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 connectiveness of Hughes with Grant and the spine players was just it was it was a pleasure to watch. Um, really, really good to see. Great team performance. They responded from Bellyag's blast the week previously, um, where he questioned their I suppose will and want to win, and Questioned the ruthlessness, and it had to be called out because if you look at the two best teams in the competition at the moment, they are ruthless. They are going on with it. They have got their foot on the throat, and I make mention to the Panthers and the Broncos. They're the two teams I'm referring to. 
um, they are ruthless. They are playing football for the, the entire 80 minutes. Um, they're not satisfied and, and happy to just put the queue in the rack. If they've scored 30 points, they want to score 40. If they've scored 40, they want to score 50. And that's that used to be what previous teams uh, in, in different eras and, and years gone by with the Storm, they had that killer instinct. And now I think Bellyag's waiting for that killer instinct to 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 be picked up and understood by this this new group, and that comes down to the leaders. So your Welshers, your Munsters, your Hughes's, <coughs> part of me, um, they need to be driving that ruthlessness. And um, there's no excuse. There's enough leaders in that team now. Whilst it probably has is lacking the leadership of those dominant Storm teams of 12 and 17 and 20, um, there's enough experience to be driving those standards and that ruthlessness and that leadership needs to be more consistent in its messaging to the younger players. They need to be driving those standards um, throughout the entire 80 minutes, um, not just in periods. It needs to be go, 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 let's not, you know, from 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 kickoff to to full time, let's keep the foot on the pedal. Let's keep the foot on the throat, and let's just go for the kill. Um, so hopefully we do start to see that with five weeks to go. Um, let's see what Craig Bellamy had to say after the game. Craig, how the celebrations in there? Yeah, it's um, as Carla said, she was walking up here. She said it's a real good vibe in there. You know, there's like there's about nearly fifty of the old boys. Uh, here, so um, yeah, that's great. And a few of the staff was just talking to Chris Anderson, and yeah, so there's you know the the room's packed, and you know the the guys are in there. A few of them already had a couple, I think, but um, but yeah, that's great. So yeah, like it's just yeah, as Carla says, it's, it's great vibe in there at the moment, and hopefully we'll we'll celebrate a little bit t- t- tonight, and then we've got our you know 25 year you know dinner on tomorrow night, so that'll be a um, you know, something to look forward to. How important was a, a victory like that tonight, considering last week, but then also all the celebrations going on around it? Yeah, I like, I, I don't know, a victory like, you know, like a, a one by 30, I think, but, you know, like, I think just a win tonight was what we were after. You know, we didn't want to, you know, we didn't want to be all moping around, you know, if, if you lose or how you lose you know, with, in, with an occasion like this and tomorrow night. So, yeah, like I say, it was just nice to, to get a win, but it was even nicer just to play, you know, better and, and more consistently, especially our second half. I, I thought, you know, Parra, you know, really started strong. I thought they, they sort of um, out-aggressed us early, I thought, you know, and but, you know, to our guys' credit, they steadied the ship and, um, you know, we scored a couple of quick ones there and sort of got out you know, a little bit in front but um, I was really happy with the way we played the second half I thought we were you know, really controlled you know, the pace of the game well um, and you know, I just thought that we got back to doing what we know works for us and, and yeah, so like I say the second half was uh, very pleasing How much hope does that kind of performance like tonight when you see that the, the team that you know is in there come out and play like that that you really can shake up this back half of the season. 
Yeah, like again, I'm probably a bit of a doomsday at times, but you know, we, we got to show the next couple of weeks that, that we can do that consistently. That, that, that's what we got to show because we haven't been good at that this year. You know, I know, I think we've give up. You know, about three or four, you know, twelve and fourteen point leads, you know, this year, and um, end up losing the game. So that's something that you know this club hasn't really done a whole of in the past. Um, so you know, like I say, we just need to need to make sure we don't lose our way after tonight and get too happy with ourselves. Um, but we know we can do it. We know what works, and you know, we need to work hard to to make sure that we you know, bring something close to that every week. Craig, you, you questioned the guys' ruthlessness last week. Um, did you see a little bit of ruthlessness, at least in the attack tonight, with the way the, the guys went about it? Yeah, I, you know, I thought, that, you know, like, um, I thought our second half, you know, when we defend our line, I, I thought, you know, we done a really good job of that. Uh, the second half, first half, not, not so much, but... Um, yeah, like I say, there's still a few things attack-wise that we need to sort of sort out a little bit. You know, when we sort of get under pressure, get under a bit of fatigue, we sort of go away from what you know we we plan to do. But um, yeah, I just thought you know a couple of our guys have come off the bench, and I thought you know Tep done a really good job, and um, Ellie, um, you know, he played. I think he played about 55 minutes or 50 minutes, 55 I think. So that's a, a real plus for us. You know, he's a, he's a good player, and I think he scored a try as well. So um, yeah, there, there was some some good signs there. But like I say, I'd, yeah, we just need to make sure we're you know we have a good week of training this week, and then back it up again next week. Craig Bellamy, there a, a much happier and more content Craig Bellamy. Uh, on that performance as opposed to the week before against the Knights. So uh, that's something that he'll be looking to see the Storm build on um, as they take on the Penrith Panthers this week at Blue Bet Stadium. Team list Tuesday. So front rower Nelson Asofa Solomona has been named to return to the Melbourne Storm lineup as they take on the Penrith Panthers at Bluebet Stadium this Friday night. The New Zealand Kiwis representative is set to rejoin the starting pack after a finger dislocation saw him sidelined in round 22, missing the Eels clash. Tom Eisenhuth reverts back to the interchange bench alongside Alec McDonald, Tepoi Moroa, and Ellie Katoa. Now let's have a look at the team in a whole. So Nick Meaney is at fullback. Will Warbrick and Xavier Coates are on the wings. Marion Seve and young Tonomapia retain their centre positions respectively. Um, Cameron Munster and Jerome Hughes are in the halves. Tui Kamikamitha and Christian Welsh are up front with Harry Grant at hooker. Trent Laero Nelson Asafa Solomona has been named in the second row, and Josh King in the 13 jersey. On the interchange bench, Tom Eisenhuth, Alec McDonald, Tepoi Moroa, Elisa Katoa. And on the reserves in the extended bench, we have Tyron Wishart, Bronson Garlic, Jonah Pezzett, George Jennings, and Grant Anderson. Now, looking at that on face value... Um, if Nelson does start on the second row, I don't think it'll take too long 
for Ellie Katoa to come on and slot into that right edge with Nelson returning after being having given a spell on the bench, he will return to the middle. Um, and the reason I say that is because they're going to need Nelson's size, impact, uh, intimidation to counteract the force of James Fisher-Harris and Moses Leota, the, the two bookends of the Panthers who take no prisoners, come off the back fence and are probably the two... I'd say the premier premium props, uh, premier props in the game at the moment, from a one prop carry to a two prop carry, um, they set they set the the tone for the for the Panthers to really go on and dominate in the middle against all teams, um, which allows time and space for for Isaiah Yo um, to come on and just well. To, to be that link man, which gives him time to set up Nathan um, Cleary and Jerome Luai um, with time, space, and that just that just makes them an even more more of a threat. Um, but focusing on in on the storm, I actually do like the the look of the bench. Uh, Eisenhuth provides great coverage in terms of being able to play uh, on an edge in the middle. Uh, can even slot in to the back line, um, defensively sound, um, can do a job in the centres if need be. As I, as I said, he can he can play in the back line. Um, so his versatility and utility value is an asset. And I don't know what it is, but the Storm always looked like a more controlled team with Eisenhuth in. Um, he just sort of brings that, I suppose, he, that, that confidence... Um, because you just know that he's going to go out there and do a job. There's no question marks about what he what he doesn't bring. It's everything he he does bring. Um, and again, it's just getting through a mountain of work. He's very very safe defensively, safe with the ball in hand. Um, and again, yeah, just just a real wholesome player for the Storm, and he makes the Storm a better team when they're in, when he's in it. So. Um, Really like his inclusion on the bench. Um, Alec McDonald got a really big rap on this kid. Um, and I've said it ever since I saw him play in that trial match last year against the Warriors. Um, at Casey Fields is... He's just got this leg speed. He, he, he almost goes from 0 to 100 in a matter of seconds as soon as he receives the ball. Um and that's a real, real benefit because if you've got a middle forward that's got good leg speed and can generate a quick play of the ball, then that almost provides you that that opportunity to get on the front foot, play over the advantage line and start winning and dominating the ruck, especially if he's coming on the back of a big Tui Kamikamitha run or a big Nelson Osofa Solomona run. So you get him on the back of that who are big bodies and they're skittling um, middle forwards of the opposite team, and then you get someone like Alec McDonald who can you can turn him back in towards the ruck or back in towards uh, the marker area, which is going to compress the opposition defence through his quick leg speed on the back of those two other runs that are made by your two other bookends. Um, yeah, he, he provides a real point of difference through his leg speed. 
Um, and again, a real worker. Just gets through a lot of work defensively as well. Tepo Moroa, wow, what a what a great game he had for his return to first grade last week. He was he was brilliant. Provided real impact from the bench. So really, really good to see him retain his bench spot. I can't see him being dropped or or, or going back to the reserves or being cut. I think he solidifies his spot um, on the bench and deservedly so, especially after that performance and needs a real, real good run um, in terms of avoiding injury because he's been very unlucky with injury in recent seasons uh, ever since he returned to the NRL with the Storm uh, midway through 2021. So uh, let's hope he can stay fit and continue to provide that impact that he showed against the Eels last week. Uh, Ellie Katoa again made his return after six weeks missing through that um, through that horrible laceration of his eye that he sustained against the Sharks uh, and did miss a beat. As soon as he came on, played 55 minutes uh, off the interchange bench um, and scored a, scored a, a really, really well-constructed uh, try running uh, an overs line off, off Jerome Hughes, which was really, really good to see. Uh, looked fit. Two, which I thought was really, really good. So they've obviously been working him, working him hard, the conditioning staff. So uh, well done on him returning uh, in really, really good shape and good condition. Um, so, yeah, just the only sort of change I can see uh, is that Nelson potentially could go back to the interchange bench with uh, Eli Katoa starting um, on that right edge in the second row. Um, that would be the only possible, the only, the only, yeah, the only sort of change I can envisage happening is that Nelson would start off the bench and provide impact coming on and replacing either Welshie or Kamikamitha. Um, it could be uh, Nelson and Tepai coming on to replace uh, Tui and uh, and Welshie in that regard, but that that would be it. I really can't see. I really can't see Tyron Wishart, Bronson Garlic coming on. And, I mean, who, who are you going to take out? You're not going to take Tebor out. You're not going to take Alec McDonald out. You're not going to take Tom Eisenhuth out. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like the look of that Storm bench. Really do. So, yeah, um, let's have a look at the opposition, shall we? Well, it goes without saying, they've already got one hand on the on the Premiership Trophy, on the Proven Southerns Trophy. They are just on fire at the moment. It's They are so far ahead of their opposition. They are the yardstick. They are the benchmark. They're just playing with such an air of confidence, um, dominating dominating the competition, uh, the best defensive team, um, and they deserve, they deserve their Premiership favouritism. They are just a, a formidable outfit, um, and it's it's the the role players in their team that that are really the unsung heroes, the Mitch Kennys, uh, the Scott Sorensons, you know, the Lindsay Smiths, the Jamin Salmons, the Matt Eisenhuths. They're coming on, and you know they're really they're really doing their job, which allows the superstars like the the Luis, the Clearies, uh, the Yos, the Dylan Edwards. Uh, to to be able to do their jobs, they are just they're incredible. They they you have to dip your lid 
Um, you cannot like them, and that's fine. But you've got to you've got to respect them. Um, they are tr- they are a tremendous unit. Um, they all work so well together, and they've been playing football together for a long time as well. Not only in the NRL, but a lot of these guys have that sort of roster purity. Um, and what I mean by roster purity is that they've all debuted with the club, but prior to their debut, they were actually playing together in the New South Wales Cup, in the Jersey flag, in the SG ball, in the Harold Matthews. So they were playing together for four or five years before they even played first grade NRL together. So they've they've got an understanding, an innate understanding of how they play. So they've you know, there's body language, there's cues, nonverbal cues, um, cohesion, uh, there'd be set pieces and, and plays and different shape that they've been playing to playing with and executing for for close to, you know, eight to ten years, you know, coming through as fourteen, fifteen, sixteen year olds and they're now, you know, twenty four, twenty five year olds that are all just just humming. It's just insane. Absolutely insane. But yeah, their their team is just yeah, it's it's remarkable. Dylan Edwards at fullback. Suena uh Sunia Turova um on the wing, Brian Toto on the other wing, Zach Hosking, usually traditionally a second rower, uh, uh, but similar to Tom Eisenhuth, can do a job in the backs, and he's been named uh, to take over the suspended David Peachy. Stephen Crichton, who is uh, just a superstar, a uh, great player uh, in uh, in the centres as well. Jerome Luai, Nathan Cleary, um, dynamic Representative halves pairing for the Panthers. Front row, Moses Leota, James Fisher Harris, who's one scary dude. Mitch Kenny, um, no frills, no nonsense, dummy half who just gets through a ton of work, um, doesn't overplay his hand. Um, type a, a different type of hooker to Harry Grant. Uh, he's more about just getting quick early service and ball to Isaiah Yo. Uh, and the halves, um, that's that's the style of play that they go with and play with, and it's very, very effective. Uh, defensively, Kenny's very, very sound. Scott Sorensen is just having an amazing year for the Panthers on their uh, on their left edge, um, as is Liam Martin, uh, who had a, was probably one of the New South Wales Blues' best in the Origin Series. Uh, Isaiah Yo well, doesn't really need any other more plaudits just to say that he's just a, a great leader, uh, a great footballer, one of the best ball-playing lock forwards in the game um, and a real point of difference to um, the, the Panthers, uh, specifically in, in attack. Uh, the interchange bench, Sonny Luke, uh, who's a hooker um, in the... Sort of Apicorosau mode in terms of very, very crafty. Has um, a sleight of hand, can ball play in and around the ruck. Uh, likes to pick on a tiring middle third um, and can can kick as well. I'm always a, a fan of a hooker who can kick because that just gives you, again, another another piece of arsenal uh, to, to your attack and uh, takes pressure off, off your six and your seven who... Generally, do a lot of the the uh, the general play kicking. Lindsay Smith, Matt Eisenhuth, 
two big middle forwards who come on and they really provide um, great relief for Leota and Harris when they Fisher Harris when they need a breather. Uh, and Jamin Salmon, who's a great utility, again, can play on an edge, can play in the halves, uh, can play in the back row. So there is no real weaknesses to this this Panthers juggernaut. They are going to be incredibly hard to stop. Um, and the thing is, is that the Storm have proven that they can beat them, that they are beatable. And I made mention to that at the top of the podcast, is that every team in this competition is beatable. Uh, even the Panthers, as, as high flying as they are going, and it, I mean, you need to be playing your best football to beat them because they're not a team similar to the Storm in years gone past that um, the Panthers are not a team that's going to beat themselves. So you need to bring your A game and you need to be able to compete for that 80 minutes because they're just... We used the word ruthlessness last week um, and the Storm were, but the Panthers are ruthless week in, week out. They've got that consistency factor which the Storm are still trying to, to search for. Uh, and Alec McDonald, uh, during uh, the player media this week, spoke to that point. I feel like this is like a test, I suppose, coming into the, like, the finals not far off, like a bit of a benchmark of where you guys are, how you're travelling. I mean, I suppose it's difficult because you are a bit up and down, mm. but, yeah, at least you get going up against the, probably out the top team. Yeah, of course, it's good. Um, we want to be finding out earlier now than, than later in the finals how we're, how we're doing. So I think it's, it's coming at a good time where we've said, right, we need to find consistency and we've got a, a good five weeks, I think, till finals. So hopefully we can find that leading into finals and then, yeah, we'll use that. I guess you need to have that consistency because you can't afford to drop a game during finals. I mean, maybe one, depending on where you finish, but, you know, you're going to have to win a yeah. of games in a row, aren't you? Yeah, 100%. We yeah. can't be winning one, losing the next. Yeah. So, yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, and that's spot on. The consistency is the only thing that's really hurting the Storm at the moment, so they can't be in a position where they're consistent um, for a week or a fortnight and then fall into bad habits like we saw against the Knights. They need to be basically backing up what they did last week against the Eels, uh, and they've got an opportunity to do that against the, the Premiership heavyweights this Friday night at Bluebet Stadium, so... What's going to be the key to shutting down the Panthers? Well, obviously all, all, all signs point to Nathan Cleary. Um, one thing that Christian Walsh has always prided himself on whenever he's played uh, against Nathan Cleary, be it against uh, the Panthers for the Storm or at the representative level in origin, he's always put a lot of pressure, kick pressure, on Nathan Cleary, trying to cut down his time with the ball and put pressure on his general play kicking game. So I'm sure that'll be on the tip sheet this week. Um, and I'm sure we'll we'll start to see that when Walsh is on the field um, on Friday night. Uh, he'll be trying to get to Nathan Cleary as much as possible. Um, and he's going to need to because you can't give Cleary time. You've got to try and take time away from your creative spine players of your opposition. The more time you give them, the more the more damage they're going to concoct and, and, and dish out. So it's it's really, I suppose, it is a bit of a simplistic way to look at it, but if you can shut down time for Cleary, if you can get up quickly um, and shut down Luai, who loves to skip in and out of the defensive line, 
um, you need to take time away from those two. And if you're taking time away from those two, it almost nullifies Dylan Edwards at the back who likes to play as that sort of that third wheel coming in and playing on both sides of the ruck. He likes to play through the middle uh, as well, uh, gets through a ton of work. And so that's that's really the key. The key is to try and take as much time away from the halves. And part of that, again, will be the the power game. <clears throat> Trying to limit the power game of, of the Panthers. Um, and again, as I said, Fisher-Harris and Moses Lieta are probably the two premier middles uh, coming off the back fence. They generate... A lot, a lot of space uh, and and momentum through that middle, which again gives Cleary and Luai the time to cause havoc through a lot of their shape on both edges. So that's really it. There's a big job at hand this week for for the likes of Kamikamitha, Welsh, Asafa uh, Solomona, McDonald, Moroa, um, and King as middles to really, really take it to. Fisher, Harris, and Leota. And if they can do that, well, the Storm are going to give themselves every opportunity to be in this contest to win this game. Uh, It's that simple. It's that simple. Uh, I do notice that um, Isaac Tungor is on an extended reserves list as well. Uh, The centre for the Panthers, who just had a field day down at Marvel Stadium the last time the Storm played the Panthers... He was just dynamic. Um, it's like he had ball ants on him. He, no, no one could tackle him. Um, very, very strong, very deceptive, very quick, uh, defensively sound. So he potentially could come into the team and replace Hosking, uh, who has been, as I said, named at centre. Um, so we'll be watching that one. But, again, he's the least of the Storm's concerns if the Storm middle Middles aren't doing their job to nullify the go forward and the impact of the forward pack of the, of the Panthers, which again you control you control that middle, you control the ruck, you win the ruck, you start playing over the advantage line. Um, we'll bring Harry Grant into the game. We'll bring Hughes and Munster into the game. And again, as I said, that that run first mentality. Um, is what the Storm really thrive off. That's that's the basis of their attack. Um, and conversely, that's that really shuts down um, the likes of Cleary and Luai if you're taking space away from them. So if the middles do their job um, and you can put a lot of pressure and shut down uh, the time uh, that Cleary has to think uh, and execute and... If you if the legs the, the line speed of the of the storm's right edge can shut down Luai, well, again, that, as I said, it, it, it takes it almost takes out Dylan Edwards uh, out of the game, uh, who plays on a lot of their a lot of their block shapes, a lot of the edge plays, um, and again loves to play through the ruck as well. So. Yeah, it's 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 going to be a monument monumental task. Um, but yeah, it's this this game is it's it's going to have all the hallmarks of of being a, a potential finals game. I, I was very reluctant then. I was going to use the the GF word, but I'm not going to use that because I don't want to put any mock 
or Jonah on the Storm, but it's going to have finals-type intensity um, because we're coming up against the Premiership heavyweights. Um, and again, the Storm are trying to get back that, I suppose, that shine that's that's sort of worn off where there was always that threat, that aura that the Storm had um, to be feared. And this new group is now ha- having to try and re-establish that sort of that perception. Um, and if they can knock off the reigning back-to-back premiers, well, that'll go a long way in doing so. So let's see. Let's see how the boys go on Friday night. <laughs> Now, Storm News, well, there's been quite a lot of it, hasn't there? Um, I suppose headlined by the return of Ryan Pappenhausen, who will make his return to the football field in what will be 384 days since he suffered his knee injury in round 18 last season. Uh, The Storm fullback will play for the Sunshine Coast Falcons in the Queensland Cup, Host Plus Cup. Uh, on Saturday at Sunshine Coast Stadium. Uh, Pappenhausen was asked uh, about his return and said, it hasn't really sunk in yet, so I'm sort of just going through the training week and trying to prepare like it's just a normal game. While it's been a long journey, Pappenhausen said he sees this as another milestone in achieving his goals. It's It's just been a while between drinks, It's had its ups and downs, its setbacks, and it's probably taken a little longer than expected, but at the same time, I'm happy I did that. It's been long enough now that I feel ready, and I guess that's the main thing about long-term rehab is that resistance to being ready. So by by the sounds of it, Pappy's ticked all the boxes. He's done all the prep work. He's done all the rehab work. He's done everything that's been asked of him. Um, he's gone through, I'm sure, what is an extensive pre-season of sorts to get him to the point where he is ready to play to play rugby league again and return to the field. Uh, we've heard over the, the past couple of weeks he, he returned to contact and that was probably the final frontier in terms of seeing him be given the green light to return. So if he's getting through contact and being smashed and tackled by Nelson, I think you're ready to go. So, no, it's, it's. I think every Storm fan and every rugby league fan in general would, would be just so delighted to see Pappy back. And, no, it's, it's, it's a great thing. Um, very, very happy to have him back. And, yeah, well, welcome back, Paps. Report from round 23. So the latest update on the Melbourne Storm's injury list, obviously Dean Oriamia we know is out for the year, but the two sort of the big uh, injuries that sort of came out of the round 22 game uh, against the Knights was the finger injury and issue to Nelson Osofa Solomonov. So um, he underwent minor surgery uh, last week 
on dislocated finger following uh, that night's clash and, and returned um, uh, in round 22 against the Eels. Uh, sorry, um, will return uh, for round 23 against the Panthers, I should say, after round 21 where he sustained the injury against the Knights. Apologies about that. And Remus Smith, uh, which looked like an, a very uncomfortable injury um, with an adductor groin slash strain. Um, thankfully, it was a strain and not a tear. Uh, so the the rehab report is saying that Smith was expected to be available for selection this round after suffering the adductor strain, but he's not listed um, in the team list at all. He's not listed in the feeder uh, teams either. So potentially they're just... Um, erring on the side of caution, if you like, in terms of giving him another week, which uh, after the performance of Marianne Seve uh, and young Tonamapea last week, um, it's probably a wise thing to do. Um, you want Remus Smith back at 100% as opposed to 90%. Um, so um, I'm sure if it was a finals game, he would be playing, but um, if you have the luxury of of having Tonamapia and Marion Seve, um, who performed very, very admirably last week against the Eels. Both had great games. Uh, or then keeping Remus on ice for another week isn't such a bad thing at all. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but we may see Smith return to the centres next week. So, but let's just focus on this week, shall we? Now, feeder club report. Um, so, pathways and feeder club report. A strong second half performance from the Parramatta Eels has handed the Melbourne Storm defeat in round 22 of the Jersey Flag competition, going down 26 18 at Seabrook Reserve with the Melbourne Storm Old Boys also in attendance, cheering on the young Stormers. Uh, the Storm battled away hard and fought uh, hard. F- for a majority of the contest, but ultimately fell short to a very physical ill side that muscled up in a gutsy uh, win for the Blue and Golds. The squad will now enjoy a bye in round 23 before gearing up for their final away trip of the regular season where they will face uh, West's Tigers in round 24 next week. So a win will almost solidify the, their their finals berth. So fingers crossed the boys after the bye can, can be playing finals football, which would be a tremendous feat uh, for this young Storm Academy side in the Jersey Fleck competition. So well done on a great season thus far. And again, fingers crossed they can get a, a victory after the bye against Wests. Um, Melbourne Storm's feeder... Uh, Teams in the Brisbane East Tigers have kept their top four aspirations alive with a come-from-behind victory over the PNG Hunters over the weekend, overcoming a 12-0 deficit to uh, run out eventual winners 32-18. So really, really good, uh, really good result there. I heard it was a um, a Cole Geyer masterclass 
so the uh, the young Storm Hooker, who's playing uh, in the number nine jersey for the Brisbane East feeder team, they reckon he had an absolute blinder, uh, along with um, halfback Jonah Pezzett. So really, really good signs there for the young number seven and number nine. Uh, meanwhile, fellow Melbourne Storm feeder club, the Sunshine Coast Falcons, suffered a heartbreaking 30-28 to 28 loss right on the stroke of full-time against the Wynnum Manly Seagulls. So both of the Storm's feeder teams will return home next weekend with the Falcons looking to bounce back against the last-place Ipswich Jets next Saturday at the Sunshine Coast Stadium, whilst Brisbane Easts will be put to the test against the first-place East Logan Magpies uh, at Totally Workers Stadium. So that should be South Logan Magpies, not East. Um, but, yeah, it's... Um, by all reports, the the Sunshine Coast Falcons game is going to be absolutely um, packed to the rafters, um, with the Sunshine Coast Falcons saying there's so much interest in the game with Ryan Pappenhausen uh, set to to return to the football field. So a lot of interest by the locals. Um, a lot of Storm fans on the Sunshine Coast through the, the relationship that the Storm has with the, with the Sunshine Coast Falcons. So um, I'm sure it will be a, a packed-out packed stadium uh, come this uh, 5 o'clock this Saturday where everyone will be cheering on Ryan Pappenhausen. So go well, Pappy, and go well to our... Teams. Now, let's talk about the elephant in the room, shall we? Unless you've been living under a rock since last Friday, uh, the storm have been in the headlines for almost every single day, uh, and that's centred around their celebrations of their 25 years. Um, uh, anniversary that uh, they decided to celebrate uh, and promote um, at Marvel Stadium, and a part of that was uh, coincided with um, a gala night, a gala dinner night, celebrating the 25 year anniversary of the Melbourne Storm's birth uh, and being established way back when in in the ju- late July of 1997, um, and it coincided with. Not only a uh, a gala dinner night on the Saturday night, but um, it was Melbourne uh, Old Boys weekend. So the Melbourne Old Boys had flown down for the game uh, on Friday night against the Eels, um, attended the game uh, and attended the gala dinner as well. So it was a really good catch-up. Uh, a lot of old players from all different eras, uh, from all different premiership teams, um, were in attendance, which was really, really good to see. Um, but unfortunately, it was marred by uh, a lot of people, shall we say, opposition fans uh, and media commentators and journalists felt triggered and aggrieved by the Melbourne Storm's decision to promote uh, and showcase their replica 2007 and 2009 Premiership trophies to a Melbourne Storm home crowd, uh, which where players from those grand final wins carried those trophies out 
and placed them on a pedestal in front of 20,000-plus Melbourne Storm fans. Um, it literally caused absolute bedlam uh, across social media, uh, across across talkback radio uh, on virtually every single network uh, across the weekend, uh, and then again on magazine shows like NRL 360, 100% footy. Um, this debate has just been raging since last Friday night with the Storm's decision to acknowledge the 2007 and 2009 uh, premierships, uh, which, as we know, uh, were stripped uh, in 2010 after uh, the Storm were found to be... Um, guilty of systematic salary cap breaches and over a period of time, which equated to $1.7 million, um, in illegal payments to, to players. Um, and again, the history uh, shows in the, in the record books that the NRL at the time decided to strip those premierships as a punishment for the salary cap breaches. Um, and whether you agree with the severity and the harshment of those punishments, there's very little that the game, the storm, or anyone else can sort of do or say retrospectively or otherwise Um Everyone's going to have an opinion. Everyone's going to have a view on it. Um, and unless you're a Melbourne Storm person, and when I say person, I'm talking about fan, supporter, member, administrator, player, stakeholder, sponsor, anyone that's ha- had a vested interest in Melbourne Storm is going to have a different view to a rival fan and a journalist. And that's fine. That's fine. But I think this has been taken out of context as well because the Storm weren't sort of wanting this to blow up in the fashion that it has. This was supposed to be an internal celebration of the club's history. And when I say history, it's important to note that history can't be erased and it can't be revised. And this this comes to the point where in 2007 and 2009, those premierships before what was uncovered were won by those players. They were won by those players. Those players won those premierships. They weren't they weren't performance enhancing athletes that had an unfair advantage over their opposition, being bigger, stronger, faster. They were players that were developed. Majority of those players were developed, brought to the club as kids, no names, and they were turned into superstars through the development system and the coaching and the professionalism of the Melbourne Storm that went on to have great careers. 
or majority of them had 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 great careers. Um, and my personal opinion, and this is this is the last thing I'll say on this be, before getting to what Billy Slater had had to say, but the Storm acknowledge their history. They put their hand up. They put their hand up. They didn't challenge the severity of the punishments. And to this day, they still haven't. They have not appealed. They haven't gone back to the NRL and wanting to have those premierships reinstated. They copped it on the chin. They've swallowed their medicine. And they accept the full responsibility and the accountability of what transpired way back when, which was done by a handful, and when I say handful, I'm talking about several individuals that we know about, in former CEO Brian Waldron, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Financial Officer in Hayson and Gregory, where they were all in on it. No one else within the organisation knew what was going on. And the NRL's forensic investigation and the independent forensic investigation, which was run by Deloitte, cleared the coaching staff, the football department staff and the players of having any knowledge of what transpired. So prior to 2010... Those players worked their guts out in the pre-season, did the army camps, ran those hills, lifted those weights. They did all the hard work. They shed blood, sweat and tears to put themselves in a position to win those, those premierships, those grand finals, and they did so. And again, they didn't do it from a performance-enhancing drugs perspective, which made them bigger, stronger, faster and gave them an edge. They worked hard and they deserved those wins. Now, the Storm are well within their right as a football club to celebrate their history, to celebrate those grand final wins, to celebrate those six titles. Now, everyone else in the game, rival fans, commentators, journalists, etc. They can have their opinion and they can choose to say that the Storm have only won four titles. And the history books show that. There's no getting away from that fact. But the Storm are well within their rights to celebrate their 2007 and 2009 titles and those grand final wins. Because at the essence and the heart of it, You're celebrating the players. You're celebrating the players and their achievements of those two wins. So the Storm are well within their right to celebrate that, just as rival fans, opposition fans, media and journalists are well within their right, as well as the NRL, are well within their right not to acknowledge and not to celebrate and that's fine. That's fine. And that's where it should that's where it should stop. 
that's where it should stop. Now, Cameron Smith was on the offensive on SEN Radio this week, virtually said that you've got to look at it from our perspective and our point of view and said very similar to what I've just gone on about there in terms of this was an internal um, celebration, celebrating the history of the 25 years. Uh, and a part of that 25-year history is, is unfortunately, the, that 2010 period. You can't get away from that. So if you can't get away from what happened in 2010, then you have to acknowledge what occurred in 2007 and 2009. You can't just erase and revise that they didn't win because they did win. They did win. Uh, And Billy Slater on his podcast doubled down um, in terms of what Cameron Smith had said earlier this week. So let's just hear what Billy had to say. I'd be doing my job, Billy, if I didn't ask you the question. Um, over the weekend, there were some who made a big deal about the fact that Melbourne Storm celebrated six premierships. Legally, they've only won four because of what happened all those years ago. 2007, 2009 were stripped. Did, did you have anything you wanted to say about what the club did on Friday night celebrating six rather than the four? No, not really. I, 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 I respect people's opinion, and 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 everyone's got their their right to have their own opinion. I, I understand that people would disagree with with celebrating that and acknowledging that, um, but but I think it's important to understand, you know, the club's point of view too, and and particularly the players' point of view, the players that that were involved in in that era of the Melbourne Storm. Um, that was a four year period you know, from 2006 to 2009. And, you know, some players were only involved in the game through that period. So so do, do we just wipe their careers um, or do we acknowledge, you know, that they contributed to, um, to the game and, and that they, you know, went through pre-seasons and, you know, went and put their bodies on the line. So, look, I can understand people's opinion and people's... Um, you know, decision to to not approve of that, but but I think you know, looking at it from our point of view, you know, it was in, it was it wasn't done televised. It was it was done to the crowd that are Melbourne Storm people, and um, it was done for the players. And, you know, given it the twenty five year celebration. So, um, if if you don't like someone's haircut when you're walking down the street, do you go and voice your opinion to them, or do you just keep walking? and ignore it, why not do it here? If you don't like it, just ignore it. Move on with your life. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well said, Billy Slater. And I think that's the other the other point too, is that you've got to remember who the Storm are talking to. So they're talking to their Melbourneian audience. They're talking to the Vic- Victorian sporting market. They're not talking to the northern states. They're not talking to the, the, Sydney, the Sydney market or the Brisbane market or the Eastern Seaboard, they're talking primarily and wholly and solely to the Melbourne and Victorian market who love the storm. They are Victorians and the Melburnians. They are just rusted on Melbourne Storm fans, regardless if they're originally AFL fans or they still have an AFL team or they support a football team in... Melbourne City or uh, Melbourne Victory. 
their rugby league team is the Melbourne Storm. And the Melbourne Storm is a football club. That's who they were talking to. That's who they were presenting to. That's who they were showcasing to. So that's the audience. That's their market. And why shouldn't they be presenting and showcasing the success that they've sustained over those 25 years? Because you've got to remember, the Storm are in a foreign marketplace in terms of being a very, very small fish in a very large ocean, which is the AFL. And AFL is religion in Victoria. And the analogy that Craig Bellamy gave long ago is that AFL is religion here and we're just a little church up the road. And that's so true. The Storm have been able to establish a niche. They've been able to establish a base of support of ardent, die-hard rugby league fans. But they're also picking up more fans from the AFL, through the A-League, through Rugby Union, etc., that are starting to embrace rugby league and take an interest in rugby league. And in order to win the hearts and minds and growing your fan base growing your membership base, increasing your membership, which brings in greater revenue, which provides the club with a better bottom line to be more successful financially, which allows the Storm to then go out and start spending on resources, be it through a centre of excellence or um, new technology for the football department. That's, That's where you need to get to. And you can only do that if you, you're, you're building and you're showcasing your success. And that's what Billy was saying there. It was, it was a presentation for Melbourne Storm people and Melbourne Storm fans. And that's, what, that's the market that the Storm are in. That's, what they, that's all they're concerned about. They're not concerned about trying to sell their success or promote their success to anyone outside of the, of the Melbourne and Victorian marketplace. Now... If you can cast your mind back to 2010 when the unfortunate events of the salary cap breaches became apparent, Phil Gould on on the Channel 9 footy show was very, very strong in condemning the NRL for allowing this to happen and punishing the Melbourne Storm, who are a development club, and I know a lot of people go, oh, they've, they're not a development club. Well, you, you know what? They are. They are because they acknowledge that they have a weakness in junior participation at, at that point in time. And they made the conscious decision to start developing players and going out and trying to recruit the best young talent and bring them into the system as young kids and show them the way of what it takes to be a Melbourne Storm first grader. So the likes of Cronk, Smith, Slater, Inglis, Johnson, Hoffman, Chambers, you name it, the Bromwiches, these players all debuted with the club, all debuted with the club. And they, they all, the common theme is that they were all brought as teenagers 
and they left as men. Which goes to show you that the development pathways that the Storm have had for such a long period of time have been successful ones through their system. And the problem which led to this systematic salary cap breach and rorting of the, of the cap was due to the fact that there was no incentive or no reward for developing players. Uh, and to this day, whilst the salary cap has gone up quite significantly, it goes to $12.1 million, 22% up on this year um, for the 2024 season. At that point in time, the cap was nowhere near 12.1, which means that the evening even evening out of talent was a lot more widespread and was starting to pinch not only the Storm but other clubs as well. And this this is what gets lost in translation as well. You've got to think about the other clubs over that period of time that was that were caught in breach. The Warriors were caught in breach. The Bulldogs were caught breaching the salary cap. Um, you've got the Eels were, were dudded were done for salary cap breaching. The Sharks were done for salary cap breaching over a six-year period, yet conveniently, supposedly, were under the cap in 2016. <coughs> Bullshit. Um, but unfortunately, the administration at that point in time chose to strip the storm of their premierships. And again, Phil Gould was a very vocal uh, opponent of what had transpired back in 2010. And he was asked about the decision for the Storm to celebrate those premierships last Friday night and Saturday night during their 25th um, anniversary um, and celebrating their 25 years as a, as a, as a rugby league club. Um and he sort of doubled down on comments he did make in 2010. Incredibly refreshing. Just hear what Gus had to say. Justin Rodsky, the CEO of the Melbourne Storm, was obviously asked about this decision from the club. This was his response. We understand that retrospectively the premierships were taken away from our club, but given we were celebrating 25 years as a club, we felt it was appropriate those players and teams were properly, properly acknowledged. Gus, what did you make of the decision the club has done. Yeah, I don't think it's such a big story. I look. All this aside, I, w- I would love, I would love someone to write the real story of what actually happened at that time. I really would, because I'm very privy to a lot of the information, and I guess the secrets will die with me, as it will die with a lot of people. But a lot of people were thrown under the bus at that time. A lot of people, um, by people at the very top of a few organisations, they were thrown under a bus, and not including the players. Absolutely. I felt very sorry for the players at that time. I actually campaigned and argued for them. Um, the majority of those players had come to them as teenagers and had come through the grades and graduated through to NRL to win the major prize that the game has to offer. It wasn't as though they were going out and buying players from other clubs and offering yachts and boats and cash and everything just to get them in the system. They actually developed those players from... So it wouldn't matter what you play. Just because you pay them doesn't make them any better players. Um, so I argued at the time. I, I'm not saying whether or not they should have celebrated these after being taken away retrospectively, but what happened in the game at that time was an absolute disgrace and it was a massive cover-up. And, you know, one day, I, I, I suppose the truth will never be told. I guess no-one will tell it because only very few know it. I, I, I... Phil Gould there on 100% footy on 
Monday night. So very interesting comments. Very interesting comments. Um, and I think what he's insinuating, without trying to put words in his mouth, feel good that is, without trying to put words in his mouth, is that you gotta you gotta look at at there's a few there's a few elements of 2007 to 2010 period that were very I suppose you can go all the way back to 1998 if you want let's go back to 1998 the constant in all of that was the storm were set up by News Corp and we're going to compete in the News Corp aligned Super League competition as a new franchise. They were going to become the 11th team of the Super League competition in their second year. Now, when the game came back together in the December of 1997, when the News Corp, Super League and the establishment of the ARL came back together and, and formed a joint venture, which today we know is known as the NRL, the National Rugby League, News Corp had a 51% stake or share in the NRL up until 2012. So News Corp owned the Melbourne Storm and they owned over half of the NRL. Now, you set up a new franchise in foreign territory when I say foreign territory, I'm talking about an AFL heartland. The one thing that you need to be able to win interest and the hearts and minds of the public and the sporting supporters of that particular state, region and city is you need success. And you need to do everything in your power to make sure it isn't a flash in a pan. You need sustained success. So what I'm trying to say is I think what Gus is insinuating is that News Corp were in. They had knowledge of the breaching. They had knowledge of what Waldron, Hanson and Gregory were doing as the CEO, CFO and COO. What they had concocted what they had put together. And I think News Corp were very well aware of it. Very well aware of it. And then when they did get busted through a whistleblower in Cameron Vale, who tipped the NRL about the salary cap rorting, to save face for News Corp, News Corp then hit the storm with the stick So when you start to think about those those different aspects, it sort of makes sense what Gus is saying is that there was people thrown under the bus, good people were thrown under the bus. The club as a whole was punished through the actions of several individuals. So the players were dragged through hell and mud, their names, their 
their brands, their reputations were tarnished. And the likes of Craig Bellamy and Frank Panisi, who are Melbourne Storm people to the bone, they had to build this club again. Without that, le- without that leadership, I don't think the Storm would have survived. Because as we know now, News Corp virtually w- wiped their hands of the Melbourne Storm only three years later, wanting to sell the fr- wanting to sell the franchise. They wanted nothing more to do with it because of the black eye of the 2010 salary cap scandal. Now, they were happy to throw millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars keeping the club viable as it continued to grow its supporter base and membership base for such a long period of time. And then all of a sudden, bang, the salary cap happens. Oh, we want to sell. We want to sell the club. We don't want the club anymore. It just seems very, very sus. And I think that's what Gus was was intimating, that the, that's the truth and the truth is yet to come out, that News Corp were well aware, were well aware of what was going on when the salary cap rorting started to happen in 2007. Um, but again, it may never come out. It may never come out. And... If it doesn't, well, yeah, that's it's unfortunately it's in the history books now and it's it's well behind us. But yeah, I, I would love to see it come out one day, but uh, yeah, it's it's just one it's just one of those things. It's unfortunately it's just it's it's a really really disappointing period for the game, disappointed period beyond disappointing period, devastating period for the Melbourne Storm. But out of a negative comes a positive because it almost set the benchmark and the line in the sand moment for the Storm to rebuild. And they've grown so much stronger from that period of time. And again, that comes down to the the leadership and the administration and the good people that were involved with the club and that are still involved in the club and that have come on board and continue to build that reputation back up. So from the likes of Ron Gauchy to, to Mark Evans um, to Dave Donaghy, who's now at the Broncos, and uh, the great work that's being done by Justin Rodsky as the CEO and the owners that have come on board, so passionate, the likes of Bart Campbell, Jerry Ryan, and current chairman, um, Matt Tripp, they are Melbourne Storm through and through. And it goes without saying, Frank Panisi and Craig Bellamy um, and all the players are just, yeah, they are just, they bleed purple and... As Melbourne, as a Melbourne Storm supporter, fan, and someone who's been a member for twelve years, um, I'm very, very proud of this club and what it's been able to attain and achieve. Um, not only since 2010, but what it's done to put rugby league on the map in a foreign land, in an AFL town 
in an AFL state and region, um, the success that they've been able to establish, uh, the great work they're doing off the field in terms of growing the sport down in, in Melbourne and throughout Victoria, record participation, uh, record membership last year, cracking over 40,000 people. I mean, this club is just, it is phenomenal, it's remarkable, uh, and the best and the greatest success is yet to come, and that's the most pleasing thing. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for uh, for joining me and, and listening. Again, it's your support on the podcast is very much appreciated. Uh, really appreciate those that are that are continuing to to tune in week to week. That are asking questions. That are spreading the word. That are sharing the podcast with friends, family, other supporters alike. Uh, really, really um, humbled by the the continuous support of the podcast. And uh, yeah, it's something. Uh, it's it's a side project. It's it's a it's a passion. Uh, I love talking rugby league. I love talking Melbourne Storm. So um, I'm I'm glad that people are are really appreciating it. So thank you so much. Um, Big game this week. Again, we've already touched on it. We know the task at hand. The Panthers are the best team in the competition. They deserve premiership favouritism. No one is holding a candle to them at the moment. The Storm, I'm sure they know better than anyone the task that they're facing. Um, Consistency is, it's got to be the theme um, for the next five weeks in the lead-up to finals. Um, Coming off a really good win against the Eels last week, they need to replicate that performance and go on with it and continue to have that, build that ruthlessness back like the Storm did of former, former teams and former eras and former years that have gone by. Um, and it starts this Friday night against the Panthers. Um, it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a tough contest. Um, if the Storm are going to get away with victory, yeah, it, it's it's got all the hallmarks of being a, a, a nail-biter. I don't think it's going to be the, the 16-0 win that the Storm managed to pull off last year um, at Penrith Park, at Blue Bet Stadium, I should say. But... If they can get, if they can get home in Golden Point, or they can get in regular time with a one or two point victory, I mean, I think every Storm fan's taken that because that that's, yeah, that's that's going to be that's going to be basically the only way I can see the Storm sort of getting anywhere close to victory is that it's going to be very hard fought. It's going to be a grind. It's going to be an arm wrestle. They've got to they've got to stay with the Panthers, set for set, blow for blow, punch for punch, inch by inch, yard by yard. They need to to basically scratch crawl um, for every inch in this game because if they if they take the foot off the pedal for just a mil- minute, the Panthers will pounce and will make them pay. Um, so yeah, I think the storm in a in a golden point game or a two point victory in in regular time, that's that's the feeling I get. So 
And again, we'll take that. We'll take that because um, the juggernaut that is the Panthers. Well, I mean, if you can get a win in any in any fashion against the Premiership heavyweights, the back to back reigning premiers, you're going to take that every every day of the week, right? So, if that's the case, we'll certainly take it. So, um, enjoy the game Friday night. It's going to be a ripper. Um, those of you going out there, rug up. It's going to be cold at the full of the mountains. For those of you that are going to be watching it in front of the in front of the TV, um, grab some takeaway, settle in on the couch, and enjoy the game. Cheer on the storm, nice and nice and loud, loudly and proudly. Put your purple on. Let's get behind the boys. Enjoy your rugby league uh, this weekend, and um, we shall uh, we shall see how we fare. This time next week, uh, let's hope so. Let's hope it's a, a win to the boys in purple and they can solidify their spot in the top four.